You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Happy St. Patrick's Day week. Happy March Madness. This is a fun week, guys, and obviously we're still in the heart of COVID-19. Um, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. But guys, um, <laughs> just when you think things get quiet around here, um, I'm in Colorado over the weekend and um, we taped our show before all the hoopla last week happened. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just get right into the, the headlines. We're going to hear from Kerry Murdoch from Soonerscoop.com just to kind of get some final words from him about that game um, against Oklahoma. And by the way, we do address Bookie Radley Howells before he made his announcement, Nate, to Washington. And Kerry predicted in the interview he was going to go to Washington. Um, so we'll, we'll hit on Bookie and um, his status with Oklahoma. But guys, um, Brett McMurphy pulled out the sniper rifle laid a direct hit in a North stadium at Nebraska with, with his report on Friday. And, and I can tell you, Oklahoma didn't know this was coming according to Kerry Murdoch. And obviously Nebraska, I think was caught pretty flat footed by the report. And then by the length of time it took them to put a statement out. And that's the thing. I think if Nebraska would have just came out with a statement right away, refuting the report, they probably would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they let it live on it just allowed them to be another kind of whipping boy target. Um, and you think about Nebraska football, they have not had much going for them the last 20 years, but there's still two things they got, guys. They got history, and they've got fan pilgrimages on road trips. And you think about all the time, Robin, we've spent on the road together since two, we've been every game since 2008 for the most part. Um, you know, the highlights, honestly, for me, have been trips where the fans all just come out and, People say, wow, God dang, if Nebraska ever gets good, their fans are unbelievable. And, you know, that Oklahoma trip was going to be one of the is going to be one of those moments again where you're like, oh, man, if Nebraska just gets back, you know, it's just so great with their fan base. And this game is historical. It tributes history. And so everything about that game, you know, to me, it was it should have been untouchable. It should never been a discussion. And obviously they contacted teams Brett McMurphy Mm -hmm. reported that and. Holy cow! I mean, just a just a terrible, terrible Friday for Nebraska, and and thankfully they've turned the page now. Yeah, I mean, at least Nebraska has. I'm sure there's still plenty of fans out there that are very bitter about even the thought that that got to that point where other teams were contacted about backing out of the 50th anniversary game of the game of the century. I mean, like you said, like the one thing that this program still has going for it is the undying allegiance of its fan base. And to pull a move like that where you even consider – taking away, backing out of a game like that. And using that. COVID as like the cover. Right, and money and, you know, whatever. All those excuses, while they might make sense uh, to a football degree, that doesn't matter. I mean, this is something where this was a, a, a gift to your fans for their support through some of the worst years this program has seen in 50 plus 60 years. And I mean, I, I just don't understand the thinking behind even uh, allowing that to get past a, an initial, hey, you think we should back out of this game? Absolutely not. That should have been the discussion right there. And for it to get to there, I mean, it shows that there's just I don't know. To me, it just reeks of panic uh, for them to just to sit there and they're panicking about money. They're panicking about what this season is and getting an extra win uh, and all those things. Because uh, I mean, th- that game, like you said, should have been an untouchable. It's something they've been promoting since it was announced in 2012. And it was rekindling one of the greatest rivalries in college football history. And it was going to be uh, beyond just a game. It was going to be an event for both fan bases. It not only meant a lot for Nebraska, but it meant a lot for Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma fans still relish their old rivalries with the Huskers. And so uh, it just was a terrible, terrible look 
from an optic standpoint, not only the fact that it got to that point where national media is reporting it before, uh, you know, before anything else. And then the six hour lag period where Nebraska was just getting pounded by local media, by fans, by national media uh, before they even put out a statement saying, oh, you know, uh, we, we're not going to do this. We're committed to the game. It was just an awful day. Can you imagine behind the closed doors what oh, it must have been gosh. like? Like just a panic. I mean, that's I think that's the word that kind of embodies this whole situation is panic. And that I'm sure the panic was never higher than it was on Tuesday or Monday, whatever. Friday. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about it is I think it kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit and, and gave you a, a glimpse into, you know, maybe how Nebraska, how people are feeling up there in North Stadium. You know, obviously, I don't think there's any other way to spin it besides this was a, a win-loss type of, of decision. They're kicking this ball around because they needed to, to add another win to the schedule. And I know there was other layers to it, and they tried to tried to spin it as, you know, trying to – uh, recoup some money not only for themselves and the athletic department but for you know the businesses downtown and everything and while that may be true I mean the core every team in the country though is in that same yeah, situation everybody as Nebraska. Is. I mean just for for it to get to where it was without somebody saying no uh, and I don't care who came up with the idea somebody up there needed to say no like this is a bad idea um, you know, just, I mean, just when you're, when you're looking and how you're viewed by not just people in your own conference, but people nationally couldn't really couldn't get any worse right now. Uh, this, this happened. And so, um, all I know is they better become ready to play when they go down to Norman. Otherwise everybody with a Twitter account, every national reporter that has any type of following is going to have some snarky comment. Thank you. Say, may I have another? Yeah. Or, or this is why Nebraska didn't want to play the game because they just got their rear ends handed to them. And keep in mind, Kansas state, a team with far less talent than Nebraska has beaten Oklahoma yeah. two years in a row, two years in a row. And trust me, they Nebraska has more talent than Kansas State does yep. on their roster, man for man. Kansas State's been just better coached and plays better. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the analogy I would use in eight is, can you imagine in 06 and 07 if Bill Callahan tried to back out of the USC series? Yep. USC was ranked number one those years with Pete Carroll. And pretty similar dynamic. And as we know, the 07 game derailed the year and – Nebraska still started out four and one that year, and yeah. then, then they lost like every game after, other than the Kansas State game. Um, you know, can you imagine though if Callahan and Peterson like said, you know what, we're we're canceling the contract with USC and it, not playing those games? It would have been a you know what storm. I mean, well, just think about how bad it is now, and that's with the former national exactly. champion quarterback doing it, you know? I mean, imagine if some outsider from California and the AD that tried to completely cripple the program did it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, it would be just insane. And you think about 07, that schedule they played, that that was a tough schedule. I mean, they, they played Nevada, who had Colin Kaepernick on that roster. They played Wake Forest, who was coming off an Orange Bowl on the road. The greatest ever Kansas and Missouri teams. And then you had Oklahoma State with Gundy, and A&M was solid that year, and obviously Texas and – um, you know, they, they played everybody that year. That was the one year Dan Hawkins had Colorado in a bowl game. Um, and then Brady Hoke with Ball State. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was a, a really good Ball State team with uh, Nate Davis at quarterback. So, um, yeah, to say, you know, they, they could have been like, yeah, we're going to get rid of that because we want Bill Callahan to survive. But, you know, and they weren't thinking. I mean, nobody would. You just don't cancel marquee. Con- no, you can't do it. Now, Tennessee did it to Nebraska. To be fair, like Tennessee, but that's a completely different animal. They I didn't mean, do it just months before the game. They moved the game though, like fifteen years later. Yeah, like yeah. the game is going to be like in, but they did it because they're going to play. They played Virginia Tech in the race car NASCAR stadium, yeah. you know, in Bristol, Connecticut, or Bristol, Tennessee. Yeah, and again, I mean, like I said, this is a. This is such a different set of circumstances. It's history. Because it's Oklahoma. Yep. Because it's the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. I mean, th- this is something that people have been waiting almost a decade for. And then a couple months before the, the start of the season, you're going to back out of it and, and claim money and COVID reasons? Like, give me a break. Yeah, it's I, I just you got to have people in the program that can say no when someone comes to the table with a terrible idea and nobody said no and – I mean, that, some people got to check themselves. I mean, they just cannot afford. They're not in a space where they can afford to keep continue looking bad. Yeah, it's like year this. four. I mean, yeah, you you should be ready to play Oklahoma. You're worried about four. getting another home game and getting fans in the seat. You keep alienating your fan base like this. How many people are going to show up? Yeah.
So uh, we're going to hear more. Uh, Kerry Murdoch's going to join me next um, from Soonerscoop.com. He'll bring some analysis on the Oklahoma side, and then we'll, we'll talk about the matchup, and he'll give some thoughts on what type of team the Sooners expect to have in 2021. Spoiler, a pretty good team. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Out of the Gates, uh, we talked about uh, the situation involving Nebraska and Oklahoma. And, and I wanted to bring in uh, somebody right down there in Norman uh, on the beat, our longtime friend and colleague, Kerry Murdoch, the publisher of Soonerscoop.com. Kerry, thank you for joining us. And let me ask you this first. On Friday, when Brett McMurphy laid his sniper shot across Nebraska with that news story, what was your reaction? And had you heard any grumblings at all that this was being discussed? No. And that was the thing. My first reaction was, holy crap. You know, how is, how is Joe Castiglione going to view this? Uh, because I, I, I haven't heard any buzz about them being concerned about the game falling apart. Uh, and it's it's really been one of the big centerpieces that Joe you know Joe Castiglione is most proud of uh, in his scheduling is that uh, and I believe do I have this right it was Tom Osborne right that put that together in correct the, one of his last two years there so Nebraska uh, or, set the game up when they were leaving the Big Ten twelve Osborne one of his last duties as AD was he got that game set up with Castiglione. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a it was such a big deal to everybody on both sides. And I mean, you know, I know there's been changes in leadership, but you know, when something like and I understand the financials of it, I really do. But that's a game that every fan base has been looking forward to for almost ten years now, knowing that that series was coming back. Uh, and all the games, both in Lincoln and Norman, uh, that you and I have been to and covered. I mean. Uh, I know it's not the game of the century in 1971. I wasn't even born yet when that game took place. But, uh, you know, everyone who grow, grew up in, in Oklahoma or Nebraska knows about that game. They know even who played in that game. Like, I mean, they know who the stars that They know the plays that were bad. And like, like I said, I wasn't even born. So to have a 50th anniversary, you knew it wasn't just about – uh, the current players, the current coaches, it was about everyone that loves the sport and loves these programs, uh, regardless of it, it, it's, it's what you grew up on. And it was it was it was a celebration as much as it was a football series. And Kerry, uh, out here, I can tell you, people are outraged and, and you're heavily involved in the local sports talk radio scene. And you have been for years in Oklahoma City. Was that the story on Friday down there? I mean, did it take over all the shows um, discussing this potential deal? You know, I I I don't know that it took over. I mean, um, I, you know, I think both you've had a, a couple of in-state runs by uh, the college basketball teams in state in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, and, and of course you have the Thunder now, and you know all their we're 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 making fun of them all the time, trying to convince them to tank more. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you hear that, and I think the the main thing that most OU fans, you know, they they kind of pitied Nebraska. It wasn't like they were mad at Nebraska. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people snickered. You know, a lot of younger fans probably snickered a little bit. But I think a lot of, you know, fans that have been around that have seen the battles, that, that even the ones that remember sitting there as Tom Osborne was kicking their tails, like I think they just felt kind of sad that Nebraska had fallen to this, to back out of a game that – everyone knows means so much to both fans on both sides. Uh, and, I mean, that was the thing. You, you asked me first, you know, how much did OU, you know, OU was completely blindsided. And uh, for Joe Castiglione to come out with that statement, he was basically saying, look, I don't know what you people are doing up in Lincoln, but we're going to be playing football in September, and we've got a contract that says that. We're talking to Kerry Murdoch here of Soonerscoop.com as we discuss um, the fallout from Friday's announcement um, that there was talks of Nebraska looking at potentially a MAC opponent or Old Dominion to replace Oklahoma um, in a game scheduled, the two-year series, to honor the, the game of the century from 1970 and 71. Um, Kerry, um, 
when you look at this series, you know, what's interesting to me is back in the final years of the Big Eight, obviously Nebraska and Oklahoma played every year, but then Oklahoma at that time was in a in a in a low point. They were just getting done with John Blake pre Bob Stoops, and that series just went away by the wayside. It, it no longer was an annual deal, and, and at that time, people were just okay, whatever. Uh, Oklahoma is in a different division. We're not going to fight hard for this game, uh, but now it, it's just kind of gone full circle. Where you know Nebraska was in a, in a similar boat where they were trying to kind of walk away uh, from this thing. Um, kind of reminded me a little bit of the last time the two teams played in '97. Yeah, and it is. It's kind of you know a little bit in reverse, and you you don't want to think Nebraska is as bad as Oklahoma was in the John Blake era, uh, and they're really not. But they're pretty darn close. I mean, it's and and Tom Osborne just showed no mercy in those days. I mean, he had so many battles with Oklahoma. Who could blame him for coming in and just pouring it on a you know just a, a defunct Oklahoma program at the time, uh, and. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, the thing about this series, though, is there is there are some highlights. I mean, there's there's OU Nebraska in the Big 12 championship game. I'm trying – I haven't even thought about this, but uh, that would have been uh, – Two Big 12 08. championship games. Uh, the 2006 championship game, the 2010 championship game. Yeah, the 10 in Arthur, which was the last one before the split, the big split, and then there was no more Big 12 championship. Oklahoma and Nebraska had played it. Now it's back, of course, but – I mean, that was the game that, that Nebraska got out to a big lead. And uh, I'm just going to say this right now, Sean, uh, to all the Husker fans listening, I'm sorry it was such a jerk hole about Rex Berkman after the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I'm never going to say another bad thing about Rex Burkhead again uh, because uh, he, he's, he, really, <laughs> he really is other than Indomitian Sue. He's one of the best players that come out of Nebraska in a very long time. Yeah, Rex Burkhead is uh, revered here, loved by many um, as we're talking uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and, you know, Kerry, what's interesting is this is Scott Frost's best team. Um, the early metrics on ESPN on one of their index polls has Nebraska about 30th. So it's not like this team is is not ready to play Oklahoma. You know, that's the other interesting. They have a four-year returner at starting quarterback. They returned 17 of their top 20 players on defense. They made a lot of improvements at times, uh, but they had two very bad losses that just soured the whole year last year. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when they lost to Illinois and then they lost to Minnesota with like 50 guys suited up on the sideline after a COVID deal. But, you know, Oklahoma, on the other hand, as, as we know, is, is there, I mean, it's playoff or bust next year down there. Am, am I correct with that take? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it is, I would say next year will be the most legitimate talk going into the season about OU being, you know, a potential, uh, number one going into the season. I know Alabama will probably get that, but you know they've got a, a new quarterback, which you know we've all seen, and 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 I think uh, Bryce Young is a really good quarterback. Oklahoma certainly wanted him. He was their their plan A, and they ended up not getting him. Uh, but he's also a guy that doesn't have the experience where Oklahoma has Spencer Rattler coming back, uh, who is you know now one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Uh, after you know having a, a redshirt freshman season last year, so, um, but no, I mean, the, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it should be a good matchup. And you're right, you know, that Illinois loss. I remember seeing that last year and just going, oh my God, what what are you doing, Nebraska? Um, but at the same time, Oklahoma lost a, can a terrible Kansas State team a year ago, uh, and ended up kind of turning things around because that was Spencer Rattler's first, you know, foray as a starting quarterback. He wasn't great until. Uh, the Texas game, and he really grew up a lot by the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. Fans, even players have been open about it. They want to win a national championship next year. Uh, and the reason I think it is legitimate is because th it looks like Oklahoma finally has a real defense, and Alex Grinch has done a fantastic job. Uh, they have players who are dudes who you haven't – you can't just say that Oklahoma has had, you know, dudes from the front of the defense to the back of the defense, and they're starting to look more like, uh, you know, when it, it's close – when they play Alabama now, it won't look like such a mismatch on defense, that's for sure. And I got to ask you this because a lot of Nebraska fans are curious because he was committed to Nebraska for a long time. Bookie Radley-Hiles, is, is he staying or is he going to stay in the portal uh, for Oklahoma? Uh, we're hearing that he's, he's going to end up at Washington. Um, and we'd heard that he wanted to go back, uh, West and, 
you know, they their defensive coordinator left for Texas. But, you know, I mean, Buki is – he's been brash. Uh, he is – he's been a guy that's been polarizing. We always thought that he got way more criticism than what he deserved. He has had some stupid plays and some boneheaded plays, uh, and especially in, in the LSU game in the college football playoff last year when he got thrown out of the game uh, for a, a cheap shot that he took against uh, Clyde edwards Lair. And people have just, you know, it, he's continued to get personal fouls here and there. And not a bunch, you know, one or two, but every time he does something like that, the fans just go nuts. And he's actually been a really productive player. Uh, he just has not lived up to that five-star billing. He hasn't been like a Tyron Matthew. Uh, he's just been a productive, you know, everyday player that's about five foot eight, which is his biggest issue. And final thing here, Kerry, I'll be curious on this Oklahoma-Nebraska game if Fox will get it at big noon kickoff or will will it go to ABC? And I'm sure Oklahoma fans are hoping for that where they can get that, <laughs> get that game at night because that would be probably the ultimate party pooper to have that game kick at 11 a.m. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking you were saying you don't want Bob Stoops on the big noon kickoff broadcast, uh, you know, being a homer towards OU before that game starts. Well, it would be interesting, though, because they, they have a pecking order where they rotate network to network, and I'm assuming Red River Shootout's always the number one pick for the Big 12. Like that's Yeah, up. that's kind of become – Fox has kind of really clamped down on that one. Um, so – but the fact that the – yeah, I, I would I would think maybe they, they go more towards OU Texas because they don't see OU Nebraska, even though it's a big game, uh, you know, in the world of college football historically. It – they probably will see it as a potential, you know, rating. game that OU should win going away. Well, the ratings, I mean, th- that's what yeah. I mean. I think from a ratings perspective, that game will still pull a massive number um, just for the history of it. I mean, Nebraska still pulls a rating for as poor as they've been the last six, seven years. They still get a number, um, and it will be interesting if that falls um, to, as the, maybe the second selection in the – Big 12 order. I don't know what Texas has on their non-conference right now, if, if there's another game that would warrant that, but uh, I'm sure the fans down there would want that at night versus 11 a.m. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Night games, uh, people hate the 11 a.m. games. They really, really hate the OU because of the Fox contract, and I know you know the Big 10 has a big Fox contract too, uh, but it they get caught in so many 11 o'clock games that it People get, you know, last year it wasn't as big a deal because of COVID, but it really has become a huge issue. And and Lincoln Riley hates it because it basically cuts a recruiting visit in half uh, because they they have to get up early and kids that want to come in late Friday really don't get to do anything. So even the coaches hate 11 a.m. kickoffs. But yeah, you're right. It's it's become a a really big problem around the Oklahoma football program with the fan base, those 11 a.m. kicks. Well, Kerry, I'm sure we'll catch up more here um, in, in the coming months. But as of now, the game is on in Norman, um, <laughs> Nebraska, Oklahoma. and uh, it, it Unless was, a big donor wants to step up and, and pay the buyout, I guess. Maybe, still on. maybe some Indiana booster will buy that out too, right? I mean, Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, Kerry, thank you very much. And I uh, look forward to talking to you here in, in the coming months. All right, Sean. Great being with you as All always. All right, much more to come. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Thanks again to Kerry Murdoch from Soonerscoop.com for joining me here. Uh, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, the segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, 30th and Yankee Hill. Get on into Tanner's. Watch all the March Madness action here. The games are on this year. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, then the first four games are Thursday. So lots of action this weekend. I was in Tanner's on Saturday. Watched some state basketball in there. Caught the Class B game. Place was buzzing. You will not find a better sports bar with better TVs, better furniture, better wings than Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill. But guys, let's pick up our spring football conversation. We are just... A little over a week away, guys. Uh, March 30th will be the first day of spring practice. Um, so I guess we're about two weeks away um, when, when they take the field on Tuesday, March 30th for opening practice. But want to talk wide receivers. And I wrote this week, I think it could be the most improved position um, on the team. And 
people came at me and said, oh, you just basically copied and pasted your article from last year. Because in all reality, it probably should have been the most improved position last year, too. But we didn't know Omar Manning was going to be a complete dud. We didn't know um, that the kid that transferred to Maryland, now I'm blanking on his name. The, uh, Marcus Fleming. Marcus Fleming was going to flake out and leave. We didn't know Nixon was going to get hurt. Um, there were so many unknowns that happened last year that completely disrupted that room where they were relying on Levi Falk, Cade Warner, and Wyatt Lever to play a lion's share of the snaps, um, three current or former walk-on players, and nothing against those guys. Solid, nice role players, but you're not going to win in the Big Ten and get big plays with receivers you know, that can't do much after catch. So the position last year just wasn't what we thought. They add some more Torrey. Omar Manning, as we know, was lifting and training all winter. Hopefully that means he's going to practice all spring. Mm-hmm. Um, Nixon is back off his knee injury. Um, J- Xavier Betts is having a great winter from all reports. Alante Brown came on later as the year went on. I mean, there is a lot of material. Oliver Martin, Levi Fox back. Oliver Martin, by you know years in, was one of the better receivers on the team. So I like this group as long as they can actually play together. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like the running back conversation where there's a lot of guys with potential, but a lot of it is unproven and or at least lightly proven. And so you're really banking on Samari Toure being an immediate impact guy that's going to be your number one target. And you're really hoping, fingers crossed, that Omar Manning can be the guy that you hoped he would be a year ago. And, you know, the, the, the credit to him is as, as much of a disaster as last year was for him and, uh, you know, all the stuff he was going through on and off the field with, with injuries and personal matters and all that stuff, he's stuck it out. And, you know, his Twitter activity, which is all we can really base it off of, is all pro-Nebraska. I mean, he's like tweeting stuff like GBR for life and all that stuff. So, I mean, at least on the surface, he appears fully invested in making it work here, which that's half the battle with a lot of those guys. The talent isn't an issue. It's a matter of can you get him committed and can you keep him healthy to become uh, somebody you can trust and a dependable player? And then the young talent they have to work with. I mean, we saw flashes from Xavier Betts. We saw flashes from Elante Brown. Will Nixon's name was being brought up as much as anybody before he got hurt. And then you throw in the three new freshmen they got brought in. So, I mean, there's a lot to work with. But it's a matter of who is going to emerge, who is going to actually realize that potential. Well, Tory. I mean, I think Tory's the guy. I mean, he's he's proven it at least. Fifteen hundred yards, not at the Big Ten level. So, I mean, there's still a question, and I get it. He's an NFL you be know, drafted. prototype He'd be type drafted guy. right now. Yeah, and so I mean, you're 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 cautiously optimistic that he is going to be your number one. And if he is, that's awesome because that gives them a top, a type of receiver that Nebraska has been lacking for the last several years. And then the X factor, Omar Manning, if he's able to step up and be the guy that they think he can be, I mean, talk about a one, two punch right there, piece together with, Xavier with all those other players. And, you know, like you mentioned in your uh, preview article, Oliver Martin isn't getting talked about enough. I mean, this was a four-star recruit that went to Michigan out of high school. And, I mean, he's got plenty of talent, and they got him as a walk-on right now. So, he'll, be, he'll go on, though. But, so, I mean, so I'm, I'm saying he's a guy that's really not being discussed uh, enough, in my opinion. So the, the numbers are there. The talent is there. But who is it going to be? Who is going to emerge as the primary pieces in that receiver rotation? And who is going to actually produce when it comes to Saturdays? Yeah, to me, Omar Manning is definitely the the X factor. Um, and you're right, Robin. I mean, there's there are there's so much talent, but not many guys that have been proven or that are proven commodities. Uh, but if Omar Manning can can be what we all think that he can be, you know, he wasn't ranked the number one JUCO wide receiver in the country by by accident. It wasn't a mistake. I mean, he's got that type of talent. He's a game changer. Um, you know, and, and I think you know, I think it's not <laughs> crazy to say that uh, with him still being here, you know, that's that's definitely a good sign. And you feel like if he was able to weather whatever storm he had to deal with last year and kind of go through everything he had to go through. Um, and is still here. I, I feel like then then he's ready to to kind of take that next step and and you know kind of and produce and get on the field and and show us all what he can do. So uh, you know I know that's something I'm I'm really looking forward to. But um, you know and then Xavier Betts is another one. Um, and you might even be able to throw in uh, you know. A, 
Thomas Fedoni. You know, he's obviously he's going to be working out at tight end, but he's got the type of talent to split out and maybe do some different things. I know that they're going to be looking for ways, unique ways, to get him the football too. I don't think people realize just having five weeks of straight spring practice scrimmages a red-white game. They didn't get that last year. They didn't get a traditional August with traditional August scrimmages. The development lost with young guys a year ago, and they're going to get all that here, and they're going to get it back in August as well. It's going to go a long way, you would hope, and especially like Xavier Betts and Manning and those kind of guys. Um, but, yeah, the, the key for me with Manning is can he practice 15 times and actually be productive over the course of a spring? Because we all know the talent's there. Tory to me, you know, I, I don't – someone's going to have to convince me otherwise, but I believe he will be the leading receiver on Nebraska next year. I, I, I just – you know, when you see a guy that led all of FCS football for a top-10 program in receiving, he broke a Randy Moss record, a playoff record. Could Wondell Robinson break a Randy Moss record in the FCS ranks? I have a hard time thinking so. Um, so I, the production he brings you cannot ignore, and I think Tory will give them a number one that can also show some tutelage, hopefully, to Xavier Betts and some of the other guys. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's actually done it at a fairly high level, uh, I mean, that that's separates him from everybody else in that group to where, there, I mean, maybe outside of a, a game or two here from Betts, a game or two here from Brown, the production at the Big Ten level or even at the collegiate level is few and far between uh, with the rest of that receiving core. So, I mean, he has to be their guy. He has to be the alpha of that room where you know he comes in and is that NFL-type wide receiver. The Stanley Morgan. Exactly. The, the guy that can go get them the tough catches when uh, they absolutely need him on third and eight when it comes down to— The win- 50-50s. Yeah, the 50-50 ball on the perimeter, getting off press coverage against those first-round draft pick cornerbacks that Nebraska is going to see week in, week out in the conference. I mean, that's the one guy that uh, can finally match up with with those types of players and maybe help the quarterback position a little bit to where when the, the play is on the line and you need to throw the ball up to somebody, there's one guy that Adrian Martinez can trust to get the ball to. Yeah, the other thing I'm kind of looking at when I'm looking or thinking about this group is who's going to be somebody from this group that steps up and, and gives Nebraska – uh, legit return guy in the in the kicking game. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like there's again there's a lot of talent um, in in all of these guys. When you go back to high school for all these players, they've all been impactful players in, in special teams. And uh, and as we all know, I mean, the special teams needs some impactful players. And so who's going to be someone from this group that kind of steps up and gives Nebraska something they haven't had in the return game too, uh, which is, I think, going to be an important part of, of next season. All right, when we come back, guys, I want to talk linebacker. We have not talked linebackers. That is a position that returns all but one player from a year ago. Uh, we'll discuss linebackers next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus talking spring practice. We just talked wide receivers, guys. I want to talk defense here now. Linebackers. Um, you look at Nebraska's linebacker room. Colin Miller, um, the only departure, and he medically retired, but... You go down the line, I mean, they return their top five outside linebackers and kind of makes sense why Nico Cooper left town because JoJo Doman's back at outside linebacker. You've got um, Caleb Tanner, who's back for his eighth year, feels like. Uh, I mean, it seriously feels like Caleb Tanner's been here forever, and he still has like two more years left, I think. I Garrett Nelson returns. Fadarius Payne, who I think is going to have a really, really big rise. And Damian Jackson, he was kind of the fifth guy last year. And then, obviously, you'll have some younger play, players like Blaze Gunnerson uh, that could maybe emerge this spring, uh, Jamari Butler. And then on the inside, um, Honus is back. Nick Henrich is back. Snodgrass is back. Um, Chris Kolarovec from Northern Iowa is back, or joins the team, excuse me. So th- there's a lot of material in this linebacker group where you go back to like Frost's first year, there was no depth in this room. And now they've got options where um, Henrich can play multiple spots and, you know, they can do different things with these guys, but it might be as deep of an overall group as any on the team right now. Yeah. I mean, right up there with the defensive line. Uh, and when you have that much experience and proven production coming back on your defensive front seven, 
you're going to be in a pretty good spot in most games. Uh, so, I mean, that's a luxury Nebraska football hasn't had really in, in some time, uh, multiple years. And so I, I guess now it's a matter of, you know, who all is going to crack that rotation when you have so many established pieces already in play? Um, you know, how deep is that rotation going to get to where all these young guys that, you know, we're, we're hoping are going to start making an impact, you know, how many opportunities are they going to get? And there's a lot of names uh, that, that could certainly be in that category. Like you mentioned, Caleb Tanner, I think this is the fifth year in a row. We're talking about, can he finally have the breakout year? We'll see, but I'm with you on Feldarius Payne. Uh, I mean, the the flashes he showed last year. I mean, he you, with the way Nebraska improved in setting the edge uh, against the run, Feldarius Payne was as involved with that as anyone. And then JoJo Doman, he went from being, uh, you know, your flash in the pan uh, you know, playmaker to being an every down player that they can count on. And then, uh, you know, with with the the rise of you know Luke Reimer, Nick Heinrich, and um, you know th- those types of guys. I mean, th- there's so many different players that could all step up and uh, take on uh, the lion's share of the workload. But I'm curious as to just what that rotation is going to look like. We have an idea what the starters are going to be, but how deep are they going to be able to rotate and are they going to want to rotate with with that much veteran experience coming back? Yeah, I mean, I, I look back and, and you know, how many of those guys were playing some pretty good football at the end of last year? I mean, JoJo was obviously playing good football. Uh, Will Honus, I felt like, was really starting to, to show us what he was made of. Luke Reimer was playing good football. Um, you know, I, I, Henrich, I think, was finally, you know, kind of getting into his groove, too. I mean, there were so many guys that were playing good football um, towards the end of the last season. Uh, and then you, you mix in, you know, the, the Caleb Tanners, the Garrett Nelsons, um, you know, and, and then maybe a new, a new face like a Javen Wright. You know, this is somebody who got hurt last year, uh, is 6'4 and a half, 210 pounds right now, who's gained, you know, he's gained close to 30 pounds since he's been on campus, has transitioned, you know, kind of the DB, the outside linebacker hybrid, you know, linebacker role. Um, you know, he's somebody who, who could really be a dark horse and, you know, fully healthy, provide Nebraska with something that they, they really haven't had or, uh, or could kind of be the heir apparent to a JoJo Doman. So, uh, and then you, you throw in a guy like Chris Kalorovic, who I, I've heard has, has been doing very well so far. Um, you know, obviously he was. Do you think he could start or do you think he's going to be number two? I don't. I I wouldn't put it past him to be a starter, uh, and maybe he's going to may, beat out Henrich. Yeah, maybe initially. Um, maybe initially he's a number two, or maybe that allows them to move Henrich outside instead of mm-hmm. inside. Can they move Henrich outside right now with five guys already yeah. there? Because Damian Jackson was going to be more of a factor until he got hurt last year. Then he became a factor more later in the year. Yeah. I mean. I just think it will be hard to get Henrich over some of the other guys. Yeah, and that could be too. I mean, I think it's a good problem to have regardless. I think, you know, the um, worst case scenario, you've got some bodies to, to rotate and to, to keep fresh. And I know Barrett Root has always talked about ideally he wants to have six inside linebackers that he can rotate and play throughout a game. So, shoot, he might be pretty close to, to having six guys that he feels comfortable with playing and rotating without uh, through, throughout a game. Yeah, to me, guys, the X factor is Caleb Tanner. If they can actually get quality pass rush production, I feel like we've said this now for (laughs) every year. Our eighth Um, year in a row now, yeah. But if Art Nelson, I mean, can they – JoJo's not necessarily a pass rusher. He's he's a, he's kind of a Swiss well, Army. Yeah, he's guy. not a full time guy. They can bring him on blitzes, but he's just as much in responsibility and coverage than he is with uh, off, rushing off the edge. But they need and they've needed this guy since they've gone to the three four. <laughs> I mean, they need mm-hmm. since Randy Gregory. Yeah, left. really. Yeah, they, they haven't had someone since Randy. They need the guy that can get six to eight sacks. And you know, I think Stilly will get pressure on the defensive line, and they have good guys on the D line. But it's can they get? pass rush from one of those outside linebackers. I mean, when they rush just four, not a blitz, but a four man rush. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be one guy. I think they have several guys that could be in that four to five sack range potentially. Uh, you know, I think Feldarius Payne is a guy that could be one of those guys. Garrett Nelson's a guy that can do that. Um, and obviously Jojo. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see what happens with Caleb Tanner, but uh, they have a number of guys that could be maybe in that step below sack category that could still give you the same amount of production. Yeah, as Payne. If, yeah, as if you had, uh, you know, a real legitimate, you know, bona fide Von Miller type pass rusher off the edge. 
And yeah. Payne didn't get us winter conditioning really or anything to train with. So like, what, I like it. What, I, I what, think he's going to be good. What will he do when he actually gets time to work out, Nate? Yeah, well, and, and he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been laying back and taking it easy either. I know uh, when he was back home over over Christmas break, you know, his dad is his dad is like a, a boxing trainer or something like that. I mean, they've got a, a makeshift gym in their garage, and he was putting them through his paces in there. So I know that uh, I know he's going to be prepared and ready to roll. And um, you know, and we saw flashes of that towards the end of last season too. But um, you know, and two other names that coming out of high school, I felt like were really natural pass rushers were Blaze Gunnerson and Jamari Butler. I mean, those are two players that uh, I felt like on film at least in high school were very natural pass rushers. So I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, if, if they are, um, you know, if that has kind of continued or, or what they can do to, uh, uh, to kind of help out this team as, as they kind of progress through their, their seasons. Yeah. There's a lot with this group to follow um, the consistency though. I mean, can they play like, I, I felt like Honus last year really has improved and, you know, he, he should be done playing at Nebraska if not for, Tearing his ACL at Michigan in the fourth game, which should have been the fifth game, by the way, of 2018, but because of the canceled mm. Akron game, was it Akron? Um, yes. Yep. He got to be the fourth game was Michigan, so that allowed him to redshirt 18, and then he was able to get um, you know another year. Otherwise, he would have been done in 2019. And so t- this is a kid that should have been done in 19, and he's going to be playing football for Nebraska in 21. I mean, so you talk about the ultimate bonus player, Will Honus could end up actually being a huge, huge bonus for Nebraska having him on this defense. I mean, he was arguably their best linebacker, certainly their best inside linebacker. Well, Luke Reimer, we even brought up Luke Reimer. Yeah, I mean, know? we just mentioned him in passing. That's it. And, he, I mean, before he got hurt, he was playing exceptionally well. And so, I mean, that's what I'm saying. They have a bounty of options uh, at both and those spots. And I, I said Henrich starting. Luke Reimer's a starter. It's, it's Honus Reimer right now, right? You would think so, yeah, and then and then, so. then then Kalarovic would be the X factor, and Hein and Henrich would and then, be then, those, then. that's your top four, and then the outside is Doman with a combo of Tanner and Nelson, Payne and Payne, yeah, Payne. I mean, I feel like Payne's like the sixth man on a basketball bench, so they just bring him in and. Yeah, well, and, and he's he's like a tweener, D end, outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in certain packages we're going to see him with his hand in, his dirt, in the and dirt. That might be it, where it's a package based yeah. deal, especially with you know Barrett has made no qualms about how many times he wants to sub, and Mike, I'm sure Mike Dawson is the same way, where it's going to be a situation deal where you know they're playing Wisconsin and it's third and three, <laughs> you're going to have you know Jackson and Payne out there as opposed to Doman and Nelson, yeah. you know, and I think that there's they're going to have a luxury of actually fitting personnel based off situation which they haven't had in a long time all right well we'll keep we'll pick up spring football conversations again next week but when we come back it's been a very busy week in the nebraska basketball world and uh, we need to give robin a full segment to kind of iron out what's happened since the loss um in the big 10 tournament and lots of roster movement that's all next you're listening here to the husker online show you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett here as we're talking Nebraska basketball as we wanted to give basketball its own segment and a lot more going on in basketball than really anything right now, Robin. The season has ended uh, for the Huskers. They they lose in the Big Ten tournament. They blew a, a lead against Penn State, a 14-point halftime lead. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. And year's over, and, and you kind of predicted this. You knew that they're going to move pretty quickly on roster movements. Give everybody now that hasn't had a chance to keep up with it all, just all the movement that's happened on the Nebraska basketball roster. Okay, so we'll start with the departures. Um, Obviously, Teddy Allen uh, moved on before the season ended uh, with, I guess, a transfer. Uh, And so that was the first domino to fall. And then, um, I guess, as of Monday, uh, that's when three more departures um, added to that list with Ivan Wadrogo, the sophomore forward who, you know, started 30 games as a freshman, but um, you could kind of read the tea leaves on him uh, as the year went on where his role was getting diminished more and more by the game. He didn't even play in four of the final five games and uh, I think played a combined, what, 17 minutes in the three previous games. He actually did see the floor. So, I mean, he was getting phased out and the writing was on the wall there. It's unfortunate, you know, because he's a really good kid and he's really athletic. Uh, but he just did not have the offensive skill set that 
kind of lended to much of a future in Fred Hoiberg's offense, especially paired with um, the, the, the rapid development of Eduardo Andre and then Derek Walker being everything they wanted him to be. He was their third big, and then with Wilhelm Breidenbach coming in uh, in the 21 class, you just wondered where he would even get a minute. So mutual separation there, and then uh, later that night, uh, Elijah Wood, uh, the freshman guard, uh, transferred. Not a surprise. Uh, I guess the one surprise was that when Bryce McGowan's was being recruited, his friendship with Elijah Wood was kind of well-documented, and Elijah was uh, one of the primary recruiters on social media, but that really didn't have much to do with Bryce choosing Nebraska. And in the end, Elijah Wood was not going to play here and he knew it. And, you know, despite his connections with Trey and Bryce, you know, he, he probably thought it was better to find better op, uh, situation somewhere else. And then uh, a call rope who, again, you know, you hate to see a kid like that leave because uh, from a locker room standpoint, you're not going to find a better person. I mean, he is the, like the nicest kid you'll ever meet. He works hard, does everything you want him to do on This wasn't a fit. But, yeah, I mean, he it was one of those guys. He committed to Tim Miles and signed under Tim Miles. And then Fred Hoiberg takes over, and he decided to stick with his commitment to Nebraska and, and give Hoiberg a shot. And then by the end of his freshman year, I mean, he was seeing minutes. I mean, he played 20-plus minutes over his final three games um, for Hoiberg's first season. He you know, played in the Big Ten tournament and uh, was actually – producing you know especially with his rebounding uh but long term again just like ivan you just got the minutes weren't going to be there and so uh you know he's probably going to move on somewhere else i know that uh, when he was recruited omaha was very much it was basically down in nebraska and omaha uh for for his final decision it would not surprise me in the least if he ends up back with the mavericks which uh, i think would be a great fit for him but that being said um four departures in all um, and then uh, the next day, on Tuesday, uh, Kobe Webster, the senior who has the opportunity to come back for an extra season of eligibility, decided to take advantage of that. And he announced his return uh, to Nebraska for next season. Uh, and that's a big deal. Uh, and probably, you know, the, by far the biggest uh, event that's happened since the end of the season, just because he was playing so well over the last, you know, six to seven games of the season where he moved in the starting lineup, was shooting, you know, over 40% from three point range, uh, and really was, you know, becoming one of the primary scorers on the team. And w- will he be a starter next year? I don't know. Will he play 25 to 30 minutes a game? Probably not. I mean, just because of uh, what they have. He's a returning. smart guy, though. He's, but give me a spark. He is going to be a fixture in that lineup because he's a, a proven guy that has done it at multiple levels. Uh, he can get you a bucket. He's shown that he belongs at the Big Ten level, and just his leadership is going to be as valuable as anything. And so, I mean, that that was a really big deal. And you know, there, there's been the the case made that a decision like that speaks to kind of the feeling internally amongst the players about what what's being built here with this roster and what maybe next season could be because Kobe had options. He could have gone somewhere, played overseas, made some money, uh, or just gone on with his life, whatever. But he wanted to come back and be a college basketball player again for a fifth year. And uh, a lot of that, I think, has to do with what he kind of sees uh, the potential of next season being. So that's kind of the, the movement that's happened so far. Uh, now there's still some things we're waiting on. I do expect there to be you know, at least one more departure before all is said and done. I'm not going to say who, but you know, if you, you look, if you look at the roster, there's probably some you know a name or two out there that probably jumps out as a guy that could leave. Uh, and then now, then the Thor, uh, another senior Thor. Thor, Thor Every year. Thor can come. They can all come back though, yes, right? Thor, your Thor, your Nobody lost a year, so like anyone, like Derek Walker, still a junior. Lat Man, still a junior next yes, year. So yes. like. It, the thing about basketball that's so hard though, to understand. The thing about basketball though is it's it's different than football and that guys don't like to play that long. I mean, you know, you, if you're playing into your 22, 23 years of age, you're getting up there. I mean, yeah, I mean, basically you're basically, you're saying that I'm not going to have a pro career or I'm going to extremely limit my options for a pro career. So just because they have that option doesn't mean, you know, Trey McGowan's is going to play 5 years of college basketball. It doesn't mean that, you know, Derek Walker is going to come back for, you know, another year after next season. So, I mean, there's, there's that type of discussion that we can have at a later time, but Thor at the moment has the same opportunity as Kobe did to where he can come back uh, and potentially be a factor in that rotation. And so 
that he's got professional options. He could go play in Iceland right now uh, if he wanted to, but he's going to take his time. Um, from what I've been told, there's no rush at all with him trying to make a decision. I don't expect an announcement on that to happen anytime soon. And the best part about it for Nebraska is it doesn't matter because they don't count. Kobe doesn't count. Thor doesn't count against their 13 scholarships limit for next season. So basically those guys are just icing on the cake. And if you can get two Trevor seniors, Lakes is gone. No, Trevor Lakes is still here. And he potentially, oh, I guess it depends on what the NCAA rules, could uh, be in the same boat where next season is a free year where he doesn't count against the scholarship limit. So there's a, a chance that Nebraska could have two or even three seniors that don't count against the 13 all in the rotation next year. And that is the awesome situation to be in because, I mean, you basically have free scholarship players that also leave you a couple open scholarships to do with as you please for potential mid-year transfers or, you know, opening up things to a 2023, 20, yeah, 2022 class where you're going to be losing a lot of guys if nobody decides to take advantage of their additional year. So, a lot of things left to be shake, shaken out, but right now uh, the most pressing items are I do expect one more departure, and we still have to figure out what Thor is going to do coming back next year. All right, well, lots to keep tabs on, Robin, um, but lots to be optimistic about. Eduardo Andre looked great down the stretch, as we know. Derek Walker played really well down the stretch. Lat Mayen, Trey McGowan's. There's a nucleus, Kobe Webster, and then obviously you add Bryce McGowan's. I mean, there, there's a lot to look forward to. A lot of coaching changes in the Big Ten next year with lower programs like Minnesota, North or Penn State, um, Indiana, Indiana, and you know that they're, those teams are going to be rebuilding. So Nebraska ideally should have a leg up over some of these teams that are going to be going through coaching changes too. Yeah, from an experience factor, I mean, they're right up there with the amount of seniors they have coming back, not only just Kobe and Thor, but, uh, you know, I mean, you got guys that are in their fourth or even fifth years with Derek Walker, with, uh, you know, Lat, with Trey. Uh, and so, I mean, they're going to have a veteran group that for once, since Fred Hoiberg has been here, has actually played a game of basketball together going into a season. They went through an entire season of playing in the Big Ten together, and they went through all the other nonsense with COVID and, and all the, that adversity together, and they got better. That's the biggest thing is not only did they, they have to play through the season, but they got better as a team, and there was role identity, and they really started to figure themselves out at the end of the year. So that's the biggest reason for optimism, and I think the upgrade in talent with what they have in place with the 21 class and what they could potentially add with future transfers makes next season pretty exciting. Well, lots to keep tabs on as Robin will keep you updated on the roster movement. And a reminder, Nebraska baseball will play this weekend a three-game series in Iowa. Huskers are 5-3 and three to start the year, so they'll have a big weekend here in Iowa City, and we'll have full coverage of that as well on HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.